0: Good morning. Uh, today we are going to be in First Peter, chapter four, verses twelve through nineteen. So you can go ahead and um, scroll there on your phones, open it in your Bibles. We'll have it up on the screen behind me. Uh, but as you are doing that, I want you to think about uh, the culture, the um, environment of working out. Okay? Some of you just got real scared. Um, the uh, this idea of going to the gym, working out. Uh, what is the primary driver that leads people to do that? Obviously, we know that there is uh, health benefits. There is physical and mental benefits that come with exercise. But I think if we were to look at what is the primary reason in our culture that we live in, in this um, context of where we live and and uh, You know, promotions and ads and uh, what makes exercise known to people. I think the primary driver is not to feel good, feel healthy. It's probably to get that summer bod, right? It, it's, it's about that time. It's, we're in Arizona, so it's already summer. Uh, but it's about that time where we start. Uh, we want to look good, right? The primary reason that people are going to the gym and working out is probably so that they can look good, so they can feel good about the way they look. Uh, and just like in the rest of the culture in which we live, it's usually to uh, boost our self-image, to boost our self Confidence, maybe. That's something that I believe that obviously there are benefits when it comes to it physically, uh, emotionally, mentally. But I think it's usually the benefits that we look at of why we work out. We want to look like that guy in that commercial In that Peloton commercial. I want to look like that dude. It's usually not, man, I'm just, you know what motivates me to get up in the morning? It's feeling sore tomorrow. Like, nobody is like getting up at 5 a.m. excited to go to the gym because they're really excited about the next day whenever they have to awkwardly sit and stand after doing squats, right? It's not the next morning whenever you put shampoo in your hand and you can't even reach your head to wash your hair. Like, that is not the motivation for people going to the gym. It's not the pain, it's the benefits that possibly can happen. And I think when it comes to living the Christian life, When it comes to following Jesus with the way that we live, I think so many people are driven by the benefits of what Jesus can give me, and it's not the cost of living for Jesus. We don't look at the cost of living for Jesus, the pain and the suffering that comes when we live for Jesus rightly, and think, that's why I'm going to do it. When you were at church camp in sixth grade, and the guy was like, when you follow Jesus, the world's going to hate you, you're like, I'm in. That's not the reason that we do it. Our motivation is the benefits, the outcome. And throughout 1 Peter, we get this idea that when we follow Jesus, when we are faithful to what God has called us to do and how he has called us to live, we are going to face trials and persecution. Peter has talked about it throughout this letter. We have titled this series, Longing for Home. Because we are exiles. We are sojourners in this place. We have another world that is our home. right? One day heaven and earth are going to be restored and that's what we look forward to. We look forward to our new bodies. We look forward to the day where we can be with Jesus. And so for the time being in this world we do not live like the world. So why would we expect the world to accept us as one of its own? When we Live for Jesus, we will be persecuted for our beliefs and our actions. And so, as we begin to wrap up 1 Peter, we have two Sundays left after today. We are going to again talk about, as Christians, how do we relate to suffering? How do we respond when suffering comes upon us because we have decided to live for Jesus? And so, I want to read. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19 follow along with me Beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed If you are insulted for the name of Christ you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evil doer or as a meddler Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We have three points today. Three points of, as we live as Christians in this place, how do we relate and respond to suffering? And so, first point, for the Christian, suffering can be expected. Suffering isn't a maybe, a possibility. If you are living your life for Jesus, suffering can be expected for you. Verse 12, what did it say? Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Like Peter is saying again, hey, this is normal. This is what is going to happen if you are living your life for Jesus. If you live in a way that honors God, expect trials from this world. This world is not like us. This world goes in opposition to God. So if we are living for God, the world is going to push back against us. That is natural. That is normal. It's not a strange thing for this to happen about. And throughout Peter, we have seen this. He starts off 1 Peter by saying, hey, you will face fiery trials that will test you to refine you. You are more pure than gold, and God is refining you through these trials. That's how he starts off the letter. And maybe if you've been with us every week, you're like, yeah, I know, I've heard about the trials. I've heard about the trials in relationships. I've heard about the trials in our jobs. I heard about the trials when it comes to our relationship with our government. I'm tired of hearing about the trials. Well, Peter keeps talking about it, and Peter keeps talking about it because he knows that we are so easily shocked and surprised when it happens. I think in our culture especially, in our American uh, Christianity, There is this belief and understanding that when we live for Jesus, all of our problems go away. That when we live for Jesus, we have it on easy street. There are beliefs that say that God cares most about your wealth, health, and happiness. That the prosperity gospel, it's a prosperity false gospel. It is not true. It is unbiblical. God does not care most about your health, your wealth, and your happiness. God cares most about making you into his image. And so when we see things like this, it is unbiblical. When we look at the scripture, when we look at the prophets of the Old Testament, when we look at Jesus himself, when we look at the apostles of the New Testament and the New Testament church, they are persecuted for their faith in Christ time and time again. There is not a story in the Bible of somebody who's following Jesus. It's just like, yeah, one day they woke up and everything went well and everything was exactly how they needed it to be and they were happy and they lived happily ever after. No, that's not how it went. Most of the people that Peter is writing to in this letter are being persecuted at the very time he's writing it. Many of them are killed for their faith. We've talked about how the Roman emperor at this time, Nero, was putting Christians to death because he wanted to uh, basically put blame on them and to mistreat them to get the attention off of himself. And so Jesus even tells his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The cost of following Jesus means that we receive what Jesus received. Jesus was punished. He faced trials. He faced suffering for living for God, and if we are going to live our lives for Jesus, we need to have an accurate expectation. What does this life bring? If I'm following Jesus, I say that I'm a Christian, I say that I want to live for him, do you have the expectation that trials are going to come? Almost all of the apostles were martyred for their faith. Peter, who writes this letter to us, was crucified on a cross upside down. That is the cost of following Jesus. Do not be surprised at trials and suffering. Our expectations decide our responses. How we respond to trials and suffering are directly reflected in our expectation going into it. Pastor John Piper, he puts it this way. He uses the illustration of a haunted house. So I want you to imagine with me for a second that you are hanging out with a group of friends and you go to one of those friends' houses and as you walk into the friend's house, you walk into the living room and out pops a clown with a chainsaw. Hightail it out of there. Get out of that house. Scream like a little girl if you have to. That's okay. Get out of the house. But now imagine with me that you were with that same group of friends and you go to a haunted house. If that clown jumps out with a chainsaw, you might jump, you might screech. But my guess is the appropriate response is not for you to hightail it out of the haunted house. You're at a haunted house. You know what the expectation is. As Christians, don't be surprised when trials come like they popped up and are just like, whoa, that's strange. That's weird. Peter's saying, do not act like it is strange when this happens to you. Know the expectation. Know what is coming for you because as we also see, trials are used to test and to prove us used to test and prove our faith. God has a purpose in these trials like the refining of gold, right? To remove impurities in our life, to strengthen us in our faith in Jesus. Trials are coming. There's a purpose in our suffering and God is going to use us or use it to bless us. That brings us to our second point. For the Christian, Suffering should be embraced. And all God's people said, (laughs) no amens from the back? Not only do we have to expect trials, but now Peter's telling us to embrace trials. This goes against our very nature as humans. We want to distance ourselves. We want to run away from difficulties and hide from difficulties in our life. That is a natural response that we don't want pain. Right? We want to avoid it at all costs. I had a friend growing up that when he would watch a scary movie, he would try to convince himself to root for the bad guy. Right? So whenever he, he thought psychologically, if he was rooting and excited for the bad guy, whenever the bad guy would pop out, he wouldn't get scared. He'd get excited. He embraced the bad character in the movie. I don't think it worked. But uh, for us as Christians, we should learn to embrace the suffering in our lives. We should learn to embrace the trials and the persecution that comes, right? We are going to face trials, and so we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't hide from them. We shouldn't run away from them. We should learn to embrace them, and this does not fit the idea that living for Jesus is easy. He takes away all our pains. And so in verses 13 through 16, we're going to see three reasons that we are called to embrace Suffering, the first one, verse 13, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When we live for Christ, we will suffer, but we will be rewarded. That God will honor our faithfulness in trials. Our hope is that when we suffer for Jesus now, we will receive a reward later. We will rejoice with him when he one day comes back. He is seated with the Father in heaven. But one day, Jesus will return and he will take us with him into glory. That we will be with Jesus. That is our prize. That is our reward that we have to look forward to. So we endure our suffering now. We embrace suffering now. Why? Because we are partnered in it with Jesus. Christ has suffered for you. And so we, with joy, embrace the sufferings that we have for him. We embrace the sufferings now, but we also look forward to the day when we will rejoice with him forever. It's coming. That is the promise that he gives us. One day our trials, our suffering will be completely removed from us. So we rejoice in them now because we will be rewarded. Our second one, verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. God is with us when we suffer for his name. When we suffer for the sake of Christ, it tells us that the spirit of God, the spirit of glory and God rests upon us. So, I want to be clear this does not mean that you receive the Holy Spirit. We do not receive the Holy Spirit when we suffer. We receive the Holy Spirit when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, in what Christ has done on the cross, when we turn away from the idea that we are good enough to make it to heaven, when we stop balancing and weighing out our good with our bad, when we stop trying to be good enough to get to God, when we stop trying to live our life on our own accord and with our own desires as the forefront and as the driver, but when we say, you know what, Jesus, I am putting that aside. I am making you Lord. I believe what you have done. Your life, death, burial, and resurrection is enough for me. That is all I need to get to heaven. I receive your grace, and I have put my trust in you. That is when you receive the Holy Spirit. So if you have done that, the Holy Spirit of the living God is inside of you. But when you face trials for the name of Jesus, it tells us that you have a unique and specific resting of the Holy Spirit on your life in that moment. So when those trials come, know that you are not alone. Know that God is is with you in your trials and persecution and suffering. And that means that we have the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in our lives in that time. So what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? What is this unique resting of the Spirit on our lives? Well, the first thing I think is that the Spirit brings comfort. When we have pain, the Spirit is close and near to the brokenhearted. So when we are being persecuted against, it doesn't feel good. Embracing suffering does not mean that we are not affected by it. It means that we have a loving Savior who gives us His Spirit to comfort us in that time. And the Spirit gives us guidance. Oftentimes when we are faced with Uh, trials in our lives, because we're living for Jesus, and then the world is pushing back against us. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to respond, and the Spirit is there with us in that moment to guide and direct us in the direction He wants us to go. And the third thing is that the Spirit actually can remind us of the truths of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit in its supernatural way, will remind us that Jesus has called us to something better. The Holy Spirit will remind us that, hey, I know this hurts, but there is a reward for you if you remain faithful to God. This is not your home. You are a sojourner. You are an exile in this place. Do not let this current pain steal from you a future blessing in the Lord, the future um, presence of Jesus. And we need the Spirit to remind us of our third reason that we embrace suffering. And our third reason is that God is glorified. God is glorified when we embrace our suffering. Verse sixteen. Yet anyone, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If you are persecuted for being a Christian, a little Christ, a like. Christ. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't uh, shy away from that. Don't waver from that, but embrace it and glorify the name Christian because it means that you are living like Christ, like King Jesus. This is a real temptation for us as believers that we want to shy away. We are, um, due to shame, due to uh, embarrassment, we can hide our beliefs from others, right? Right? That this world will make fun of you for being a Christian. This world will disrespect you for being a Christian. This world may hurt you for being a Christian. Without a doubt, relationships will be broken and hurt if you are living for Christ. At the very least, relationships will get really weird and distant. So when you're faced with that, Are you ashamed? Do you shy away? Do you hide your beliefs? Or do you stand firm and steadfast? Because God has called us to it and we have the opportunity to glorify him. When you are faced with trials, you have a unique opportunity to be a witness to somebody. Imagine uh, that at your workplace or with a group of friends, you push back against gossip and slander. Maybe that means that you uh, separate yourself from those conversations, or maybe it means that you actually say something and, hey, we shouldn't be talking about this person in that way. If you do that, that's a bold move. But what I'm going to tell you is there are going to be people who mistreat you, and you're going to be faced with trials because you stood up for Jesus. People will call you a Christian goody two shoes. Uh, I don't even know what that phrase means, goody two shoes. Um, I have two shoes, but. I don't, I don't know, but they will make fun of you for that. And when that happens, you have an option, right? You can shy away and you can sit back down at the table and you can even participate in the gossip and the slander of other people, right? That's an option. Or you can have the option to be uh, steadfast and not back down, glorify God in your suffering and in your trials And speak up about what God has called you to do. That God has not called us to slander others. God has said that we should have no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. We should respect and honor others in our lives. That's what he's called us to do. In which one of those situations honors God more? Oftentimes, our biggest platform for proclaiming the gospel is on the foundation of our trials and suffering. When we, look at the Old Test- or when we look at the New Testament, we see that time and time again when the apostles were being persecuted for their faith, that is when people were saved. That is when people put their faith in the very Jesus because they saw that these people were so strong and firm and bold in their faith that even in the midst of persecution, they would endure hardships. And when we look at Jesus, when Jesus was opposed When Jesus was persecuted, he glorified God in those moments and he loved other people. Think of the moment where Jesus had the most suffering. When we look at the cross, when he was suffering the most is when God was glorified the most. What is the thing in Jesus' life that we look back to when we say, that is how I know God loves me? It's not the miracles that Jesus did. It's not the healing, it's not the teaching that Jesus had. It is the moment of the cross where Jesus had the most suffering, the most trials, the most persecution being put on him in that moment, is where we can look back and say, Jesus endured the cross. And that is an example of how good and loving and big our God is. It is in the trials where you have the platform to share your faith, not when things are going good. What does it say about somebody if they're a Christian whenever they just got a promotion? And they're like, oh, praise God. That's easy. But when you are faced with persecution, when you are suffering, can you then say, praise God in this as well? Praise God in this very moment. So we embrace suffering because we are rewarded. We embrace suffering because God is with us and God is glorified through it. We have a unique chance to glorify God and be a witness in our suffering. So before we get to our third point, I want us to look at verse 15. Maybe you noticed we skipped over it. We went 13, 14, 16. Uh, But Peter kind of throws this verse out there. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So Peter just kind of throws this out there. Uh, it seems kind of misplaced when you just read through the text, but it is a reminder that we are to embrace a specific kind of suffering. Right? We are embracing a suffering when we are suffering for living for Jesus. Listen, if you come up to me and you say, hey, I'm just really upset, I'm struggling. This dude called me a bad name after I murdered someone in his family. Yeah, dude, I think that's on you. Yeah, you probably deserve it. And Peter is saying here, hey, if you are sinning, there are consequences for your sin. There is suffering that comes when you decide to not live under the headship of Christ. When you decide to do things your own way, there are going to be consequences. And so don't complain about your suffering. There is not a, a unique resting of the Holy Spirit on your life because you stuck your nose in other people's business, and now you're in the middle of it, and you're facing the consequences. That's not on Jesus to come and to help you. Don't embrace that suffering because that means you're just sinning. And he goes from big to small, right? Whether you murdered somebody, you stole something, you did something evil, that's all of us, or you're a meddler, you're a busybody. You stick your nose into other people's business and you you start drama where you shouldn't be drama, right? The whole spectrum, don't do it. All right, that's what he's saying. There's consequences for sin. I'm not talking about that suffering. I'm talking about suffering because you have lived your life for Jesus and now people don't like it, so the world is pushing against you. All right, just throw that out there. Our third point this morning, as a Christian, suffering can be expected. Suffering should be embraced. And as a Christian, suffering is only temporary. Suffering in our lives For living for Jesus, it hurts, it is real, it is painful, however, it will not last. Verse 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? This is a confusing verse. There's a lot in it. Uh, We're not going to deep dive into it. But what does it mean that judgment begins with the household of God? I think a lot of times when we hear the word judgment, we think of condemnation, right? Our mind automatically goes to the judgment of God, the final judgment, the, the, the uh, payment of sins, the punishment for our sins, God's wrath. That's usually where our mind goes when we think of judgment. But That's not what this is talking about, right? Romans verse. Or Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. All of that condemnation, all of that wrath has been put on Jesus at the cross. It is done. There is no guilt. There is no shame. You are a sinner. You will sometimes sin, yes. But there is no condemnation coming for you because of that. Jesus has taken that. So what judgment Are we talking about here? This is God's evaluation of the way that we live our lives. This is God watching us and evaluating us, not watching us in a, you better not mess up or I'm gonna get you. This is, he is watching us and evaluating where we are in our faith. How are we living our lives under his lordship? Are we being faithful with the grace that he has given us How are we responding in trials? Are we living in the manner of which he has called us to live? You see, suffering is going to happen. We can expect it. And God is evaluating us and he is watching how do you respond in suffering. Because how you respond in your suffering tells a lot about your faith. Do you value honoring God more than you value being accepted by man? That's a big question. Do you value the acceptance of man more than glorifying God with your life, more than being obedient to him? Do you choose comfort over commitment and obedience to God? trials in our life are certain if we are living for Christ. How do you respond in those moments? Do you respond faithfully or not? And so for the Christian, suffering is a guarantee. But that suffering is temporary now. But there's an eternal suffering for those who do not know Jesus. There's an eternal suffering. Doesn't compare... Ours does not compare in the slightest to the suffering that is for those who will have an eternity separated from the Father, separated from Jesus. They do not have a Savior. They don't have anybody to take the condemnation, the wrath of God onto themselves. So what do they do? This changes the way we live. It should change the way that we embrace suffering knowing that there are those out there that do not have an advocate for them knowing that our momentary suffering in no way compares to what is coming for those who with who do not have a savior it's our job to make sure that other people know the love and the grace of our god So when we suffer, we should suffer with urgency. We should suffer with purpose, knowing that we have an opportunity to bring life to those who are dead. Our heart should break for the very people of this world that hurt you. For those people in the world that are pushing against you because you are living for Jesus. Jesus we should have more urgency and more purpose and more motivation to love them even greater. And I know what I'm saying is difficult. I understand that this text is difficult. But the very people that are putting you down for following Jesus are the very people that need Jesus the most. What better witness to those people than to be different than the rest of the world, to love them even when they are hating you, That's not of this world. When this world is sinned against, they sin right back. But what does it mean if us as Christians, when we are sinned against, we sin back? It means that our faith is so small. But when we have the opportunity to love for Jesus, these people, even when they don't deserve it, there's a unique opportunity to witness to them. Your suffering is a platform to proclaim God's glory. So Peter, again, is reminding us that we can win others to Jesus in the middle of our trials and suffering. And so verse 19, we're going to finish it up. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Church, You have a good God. You have a good and faithful God who is trustworthy, and He loves you. He cares about you. And He is faithful. God is faithful in those times where we feel like we can't keep going. God, where are you? You're nowhere to be found. I am living and I am suffering for you. I thought that as I lived for you, that you would be present and I would feel good things and it would be a good life on easy street. And now I'm here in this moment and people are persecuting me. I am suffering for you. Where are you at, God? In that moment, God is faithful and just. His promises are true. He has suffered for you. He has uh, suffered with you when it feels like living for him isn't worth it, God is there in that very moment. His promises are true. You will receive your reward in due time. So continue to do good. Continue to be faithful. Continue to trust him. Continue to give him glory with your life. So for the Christian, suffering can be expected, should be embraced, and suffering is only temporary what is our be the church and display the kingdom point for the day remain faithful in suffering because god is glorified you are rewarded and others can be saved our suffering has purpose in your response to suffering, your being faithful, your continuing to do good in those times has the ability to proclaim Jesus to this world that even though they may hate Jesus, they so, so desperately need him. Let's use our suffering well. Let's pray.